Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with Alex Arkangelski and he's the co-founder of uh, Break Free. And uh, this is a quite unique company. I mean, it's not the first company in this podcast in the mobility and transportation industry, but what they do is not selling helmets or, or selling e-bikes like our previous uh, guests, but they uh, rather sell different um, devices and and also these devices come with with software so he will uh, talk about it more today uh, and how they got into shark tank how they uh, run crowdfunding campaigns how they plan to expand and all of these hey alex how are you today hey doing great thanks for having me so let's start uh, with the early days. I know you have several co-founders, uh, three other guys besides you, but you are the CEO. Yep. And uh, how did you come up with this idea? How did you meet with these guys? You know, <clears throat> I've actually met them just along the journey, uh, getting this product off the ground. Uh, my first co-founder, I was quite literally walking around different motorcycle dealerships and pitching them on the idea just to see what folks would say, whether this is a good idea, what's if it's needed, who would buy it, how much we should charge for it, that kind of stuff. I was just going around the Bay Area into all the different motorcycle dealerships, talking to sales reps, talking to some customers that are lingering around that are open for conversation. So I walked into one of them in a dealership in Mountain View and talked to a sales rep happened to be a guy who was kind of transitioning in between jobs. He just came back from Europe, finished his uh, degree and was working for, uh, apparently was working for a lot of different, um, actually, no, he was working for one really, really um, well-known design studio. And now he's back stateside looking for work with like a large OEM um, for in the motorcycle industry. So I happened to just catch the right person and, you know, he was interested enough and we, you know, eventually ended up meeting up for a coffee, kind of ran through the different ideas. And eventually he joined the team as a, uh, as a co-founder and he's my industrial designer, the person that's responsible for the look of the product. So yeah, um, quite amazing um, coincidence there. And uh, my other co-founder, um, you know, we knew that we wanted to make the product completely wireless because we've seen that there's been a few attempts at this idea before where, folks would um, use a transmitter that you would have to wire into the bike and that kind of stuff. And we thought that that was a barrier to entry. So we wanted to make it completely wireless as to where you don't have to hook up anything to the motorcycle. You don't have to install any apps, nothing like that. Everything's built into the unit and you just attach it to your helmet, turn it on and it does its thing. So uh, for that, um, apparently there was no easy out of the box solution. And uh, me being not a technical person, not a designer, 
I'm just a business person, really. Like I just literally graduated from San Jose State University, and uh, this was my first opportunity to do something on my own and uh, give it a try. And so anyway, so we didn't have the skill set to make the algorithm that would be able to wirelessly detect any time you're slowing down on a motorcycle and activate a brake light and be able to discern that like a head movement or you looking down is not a braking event. So we needed a smarter mm -hmm. algorithm that would, um, and, and a combination of the sensors. So I needed to find somebody that understands either robotics or sensors or is um, good at uh, coding. And so I found a person that was all three of those things. And, you know, we teamed up and uh, he ended up, well, we actually ended up collaborating on this. I was the guinea pig that was riding around on the motorcycle with sensors and stuff strapped to my head with like a little buzzer that would go off telling me when it's turning on or detecting braking and he kept tweaking the algorithm to, to make it just right. And so he, that's my um, second co-founder. Third co-founder um, is a person. Oh, actually, no, that's, yeah, I've gone over all three of them. There we go. I forgot where I'm at. My bad. <laughs> um, uh, oh, one person, uh, Henry, he's the person that you see with me on Shark Tank. He is a friend of mine or a friend of a friend, um, at San Jose State, he was doing his mechanical engineering uh, degree, and we needed a mechanical engineer on the team to make the product actually manufacturable. The, we had a really pretty shell of a product, but no actual internals, so we were looking for somebody to um, fill that role. I've done a lot of research to try and figure out if I could hire somebody, and out of the blue, my friend uh, calls me, and he's like, hey, I saw that you guys are on Indiegogo. I wanted to chat with you ended up talking to him for a while about the project and how that's all going and uh, kind of just like laid it all out saying like, Hey man, we're having all these issues. Like we've uh, raised the money. We have this prototype, every, all that stuff works. The, the prototype looks great, but like internally the mechanic mechanical design aspects of it are not quite finished. I don't really know how I'm going to do this. And at the end he's like, you know what? I can do this for you. You know, I'm, I'm happy to join it. I like the idea. You know, he's a motorcycle rider. He wanted to kind of get some startup experience hands-on like being involved, not being an employee number 300 or something like that. So, um, he joined the team and so there we are you know <laughs> um, yeah. years later yeah when when did you start with the whole thing when what was the year um so it actually started in uh 2014 when i graduated uh from san jose state and i was working um for an entrepreneur as an intern i was looking to just get startup experience um, work for either free or for, you know, intern pay. And, um, that's when I, um, my, one of my professors at San Jose state actually introduced me to an entrepreneur who's kind of towards the end of his career, who was still working on a bunch of different ideas and projects. And, uh, one of his ideas was this like autonomous light bar that you would attach into the back window of a car. Uh, mm -hmm. and his premise was that he almost got rear-ended on a freeway when, people in front of him stopped, he had to stop quickly. And then the people behind him didn't quite realize that he's stopping quickly. So in his head was like, hmm, what if there was a little light bar that could sense when you're stopping quickly and it would flash and it would tell the people behind you that you're stopping quickly. So that my job was to do all the product research and um, interface with like some of his contacts that are um, marketing folks and manufacturing folks. So I got to learn a lot about 
product development, um, how the research gets done, how the prototyping stages work and that kind of stuff. And uh, long story short, my job was to basically tell them if that's a good uh, product market fit. And um, I told them essentially that from my research, I don't think it is. Uh, however, I think we should pivot the idea into the motorcycle world because Cars already have a steel shell all around them. They have three brake lights. Some cars already have that feature kind of built in, or there's some aftermarket products that you can like uh, customize the taillights to do the blinking function when you're hitting the brakes. And um, in general, I thought that, you know, most people weren't super excited about the idea, but on, in the motorcycling world, the visibility is a huge problem because yeah. you're a much smaller visual profile. You only have one taillight. It's not at eye level for drivers. They can't easily see you. So even in like motorcycle safety training classes, they always tell you like, pretend like drivers can't see you because in general, they're not looking for motorcycles. They're looking for other cars and uh, distracting dri distracted drivers are also a problem. So, you know, um, it seemed like a much better uh, market fit for me. And uh, he agreed. We pivoted the idea. However, my internship ended and he's not a motorcycle rider. He wasn't going to pursue the idea much further. And then um, I got really excited about the idea and I asked him if I can keep going with it. And if he would just, you know, mentor me and possibly become a co-founder of mine and uh, he agreed to, to be a mentor and I think uh, yeah he was our original co-founder uh, but later down the road we ended up um, kind of going our different ways we ended up uh, buying out his share of the company and uh, he's still a really good dear friend of mine and he's definitely credited to my start as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. for sure so <laughs> long right. story yeah it's amazing to hear how you met these people and uh as you also said, sometimes it seems very random or, or just a coffee and big things can happen. And oh. I think people, they undervalue these things. And uh, you, because, you know, people, many people, including myself, I try to be very purposeful with things and setting goals, all of that. But it's, it's never just that. I mean, many times you have to be open to random things happen. And, and in the long run, that will help you with your goal. But... You have to go out, have a coffee and meet some people. Maybe you would never think they can help you with your business, but they will help. So, yeah, you yeah. never know. Um, so I have to ask this question because I know many listeners, they are interested. How did you get into Shark Tank and what was the idea with it? Well, so I, uh, I found out about... Um, auditioning for Shark Tank through a friend of mine. She is also in the motorcycle industry space and uh, she went to CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas that's held every year. And uh, she told me that she actually did an open casting call for Shark Tank. And um, she said that, hey, you should do this too. And I was, uh, you know, honestly, I've been watching Shark Tank. I didn't really... Um, think that we would really have a chance but um since she encouraged me to uh look into open casting calls i did i looked up the nearest one to me at that time i was already in denver i moved from the bay area uh california to denver and uh, the closest one to me was in um Lincoln, Nebraska, actually kind of a random place so you know i uh submitted my application and there's a date you show up you uh prepare like a one minute pitch and you know 
uh, give it to a person that's listening to all of these different people that showed up for the open casting call, pitch them, and uh, you hope to hear back. And uh, so they tell you, you know, um, they kind of prep you and tell you that, like, you know, the person that's listening to you, they're going to have no emotion on their face. So don't think that uh, them not reacting to your pitch is a bad thing. They're just there to listen to it, take notes, and then, you know, they pass it on to whoever the decision maker is, and then they'll reach out to a handful of people and then they'll go on to the next stage. And then that'll happen over and over again until they're determined that you're a fit for the show. So uh, that was the first thing I did, drove eight hours, did my one minute pitch, drove eight hours back and thought that was the one end minute. of it. That's for one minute. <laughs> yeah, and then so uh, Crazy. surprising a week and a half, maybe two weeks later, somebody reached out to us and said, hey, um, we liked your pitch. We would love for you to do a 10-minute video recording where you just answer um, a number of different questions. So the goal is to see what you're like on camera, whether or not you kind of have the energy and personality to be on TV, because it is a TV show, but then also a chance for you to kind of talk about your business. And they're also looking at that as well to see whether or not your idea of products business company is viable and um, because they I guess they've been trying to get more companies onto the show that are more likely to succeed uh, on the show so um, yeah so the 10 minute video you know had to do that in two weeks submit that to them um, have them review it that was also the time where I think I made the right decision to ask my co-founder to see if he wanted to join me in this whole journey. So we did kind of a collaboration. He answered some questions. I answered some questions. We were both on video. And then I thought that that would be the end of it. And then, uh, you know, maybe three weeks later, somebody reached out to us and said, hey, the producers like the video. They would love for you to um, do the show. And um, then they paired us up with uh, uh two producers, or I guess they're kind of like the folks that are kind of coaching you along to get you to the show, um, mm -hmm. creating, uh, we had to answer a lot more questions in writing. We had to do design our sets. We had to create our, uh, two minute pitch. We kind of sent back and forth a whole bunch of drafts and things like that. Um, then we had to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And then after that, do a video pitch of us giving that like short two minute pitch, send that to the producers, see if they like that. And yeah, so it's kind of a long journey. Um, we started this in March of 2019. And then um, we were on the show at the end of September of 2019. And then after that, mm -hmm. um, it took almost another year for our show to air, but that's kind of a longer story, um, to be honest. Wow, almost a year. That typically never happens. It was it happened to be kind of like this freak pandemic thing that happened. Mm. So actually, you were never aired on TV, or or what happened? Um, so, so what happened was uh, we were part of season 11 when they were recording our episodes. And we pitched in September. We got the deal on the show with uh, Mark and Robert. And, uh, you know, we got yes. here. Huh? I, I, honestly, I didn't check it on, on the internet. So I don't know if you could have a deal or not. So it seems like two people, they you, you signed a deal or what happened? Well, so we made a deal on the show, right? And then yeah, so... Yeah, yeah then each each one of the sharks has like their whole team of folks that are working on these deals and um 
uh, we signed a agreement and uh, started the due diligence process where we had to send them all of our business information, answer a whole bunch of more questions um, because uh, it is actually true that the sharks actually have no idea about your business. The producers collect all of this information. They know a lot about us. They get us on the show and then the sharks kind of get to hear your pitch for the first time. And then after that, um, they get to get all of the um, due diligence documents to, yeah, yeah. to finalize the deal. And um, with us, it um, took them a while to actually even uh, get to our uh, deal. We submitted everything by like October. We were then submitting like monthly updates on what's going on with the business and just checking in to see if there's any questions on the due diligence side. And, you know, um, kind of got, you know, one sentence answers from, from their teams. And, uh, eventually like around January, they started asking some questions and we were getting a little nervous because typically when you record episodes, they air that same season. They don't like hold them till the next season or anything like that. So with us, uh, the motorcycle riding season was going to be starting like March, April, um, that's going to happen. And what we needed the funding for was to, uh, kick off production of our first mass production run after fulfilling all of our crowdfunding yeah. obligations, all the pre-orders. So we had enough cash for, uh, getting the product all the way to across the finish line getting it all finished, certified, packaged, everything, and fulfilling all of our crowdfunding orders. But what we needed the investment for was one to uh, finance the actual production of the first production run that's going to go for sale to general public. And the other half was the expertise and guidance of, you know, launching a hardware product onto the market and how to do that in the best way, most efficient, you know, possibly there's some connections or introductions. So what ended up happening is uh, they came back to us in like early February of 2020. And you remember what happened in 2020 and I didn't make that connection right away, but um, they yeah. kind of told us that the deal is not going to really go through because there's um, they kind of give, gave a canned answer. There wasn't like a whole lot of um, a whole lot of real reason for why the deal never closed. Um, so then um, they backed out of the deal and uh, the, Producers actually called us two weeks later and said that, hey, we filmed too many episodes. They're not going to be able to fit all of them in and we have to cut somebody. So unfortunately, your episode got cut. So uh, in February of 2020, we were thinking like, oh, man, we just spent like all year. We were super excited. You know, we got the deal on the show and then everything fell apart. And uh, the team decided like, you know what, we're going to do this anyways. We're going to figure out how to raise money. Raising money during the start of a pandemic was not an easy feat. Yeah. Uh, but we managed to get our first production run. We started, you know, selling the product. And then what do you know, like in May, the producers call us and they're like, hey, this has never happened before. But um, the uh, ABC has bought the episode for the following season. So your episode is actually going to air and it's going to mm -hmm. air the next season. So um, that's how our episode ended up airing in December of uh, 2020 instead of in the season that it was actually filmed at. Hey Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. So more than a year after uh, the recording and 
one roughly one and a half year after you originally submitted your application. Yeah, yeah, quite a, quite a roller coaster ride. COVID didn't help, not just the investors and not just the you know the team of the TV channel, but COVID also happened. So yeah, but uh, then I'm happy to hear what happened in the end. And yeah, uh, it was yeah. the best outcome to be honest because. Yeah. We got to be seen on on the show, and it was a really good episode. I thought mm-hmm. um, it turned out great, and it actually aired at a time after we've actually gone through a couple of production runs. So we got mm-hmm. to iron out some of the production um, kinks. And um, at that point, we've already had you know several thousand customers buy our product, love our product, review it, everything. So uh, by the time the show aired, we had some inventory to sell. We've gone through the production runs a couple of times, so we knew what we were doing on that end. So in all reality, it, it actually worked out for the best. Um, yeah. We still got to keep all the equity in the company, but to the world, it looks like we're you know these amazing, successful people working with Mark Cuban and Robert Hershevik. So. Um, you know, I, I, if somebody really asks me what happened, I'll, I'll tell them. But uh, in terms of like, f- for the most part, everybody thinks that we're, uh, you know, successful because we're paired up with these two really. Uh, yeah, 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 they connect your name with their names, and uh, yeah. that's super important. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, outcome. And I'm uh, curious what happened after. What happened since then, and where you are going now? What are the plans? For sure. Um, so since then, uh, so the shark uh, tank effect is definitely real. Uh, once our, our show aired, um, to that was point, it a spike or more like my like like this? It was a huge spike. Um, we sold about two hundred fifty thousand dollars of products going into Shark Tank before it aired. The mm-hmm. for for the whole week. Um, after it aired, um, our, we got another $250,000 in sales just in those like week, week and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually ended up selling out of inventory and uh, had to switch our website to pre-order again because we had another production run on its way already. But uh, with the timing and how it all worked out, we had to go on pre-order. And so I'm sure that kind of slowed down the sales a little bit. But um, yeah, no, it's it, it, it was a huge effect. And then now, even now, like they do re-airs from time to time. Uh, like I remember in uh, 2021, um, the episode aired just after the Super Bowl, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and then we saw another huge spike in sales. So it's kind of like, you see your phone and you're like, oh, wow, that's a lot of sales for the day. I wonder what happened. It's like, oh yeah, Shark Tank re-aired. That's awesome. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. So yeah. Hmm, that's amazing. Um, because I, I interviewed a few guys, a few companies who were in Shark Tank and they shared different experiences. I remember there was another uh, more tech company like, uh, computer hardware, let's say. And, uh, they said that there was a big spike, but, but nothing much more after. So, so it wasn't like a continuous growth, more just like this. And it died out very fast. So. But others, they uh, told me there was a company from Miami a few weeks ago, and he shared that uh, they have they have this steady growth, and and actually they are very happy for that because it's just more sustainable. So everyone has different experiences with Shark Tank, and its effect. 
Yeah, no, I mean, for us, it was uh, definitely kind of like that first example where it was a huge spike. Um, I think in the first day we sold like $75,000 worth of stuff. And um, that's definitely not like the regular day experience um, for us. So it's, um, it spiked up and then it kind of tapered off and uh, normalized around a certain area. But I mean, in terms of like the recognition i still have people at trade shows come up to me and say like hey didn't i see you on shark tank you guys were on shark tank right like and i'm like yeah that was me um so that's kind of cool that's my like um, claim yeah. to fame um but yeah it definitely it definitely like the effect didn't last forever for us it, it definitely like spiked really high uh because all of a sudden now millions of people were aware of our product now and they're like oh ha huh, i didn't know that that existed and then after that it's um kind of just word of mouth and all that kind of stuff and the marketing that we're doing, obviously. So. Yeah. 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 So what other marketing activities do you do to, to grow the company? Um, well, so, you know, uh, influencer marketing is uh, uh, a, a piece of this. Um, the regular old uh, Facebook and Instagram advertising, um, Google search, um, YouTube, um, trade shows, uh, trade shows are great because not everybody wants to buy something that they saw on the internet without actually seeing and holding it and knowing that it's a real thing. Cause I guess there's a lot of products on Facebook and whatnot that aren't completely what they claim. Um, so there's that we're also doing now this year we're doing, uh, we're sponsoring a couple of different events, uh, where, you know, our name gets attached to like, as a sponsor of like a racing mm -hmm. series. Um, we've done a couple of TV spots. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just, we're, we're just trying a whole bunch of different things right now. We're also looking at affiliate marketing as well. Um, because there's a lot of, a lot of our writers are saying that like a lot of people are asking them, Hey, what is that light on the back of your helmet? How does that work? How does mm -hmm. it know when you're slowing down? So they kind of automatically become a brand ambassador just by having a, a product on, uh, on their helmet. And it's unique and it's highly visible. And so it definitely starts a lot of conversations. And so we're uh, we're going to be starting some affiliate marketing as well. And then, Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, I think the motorcycle community is uh, one of those communities where people are very enthusiastic very emotional about their uh, hobby i yeah. also have friends in this uh, niche i'm not a motorcyclist myself but I, I i'm more into cars to be honest but i, hear uh, I have friends and I, I know how passionate they are about this it's a kind of lifestyle and those niches are amazing to sell and uh, it's fun as well not just from a business perspective it's just good to you know hang out with your customers and also influencers are huge in those niches. Um, so these influencers, these are on YouTube more or TikTok, Instagram, what, what channels they usually use? Well, typically in the, in, in the beginning, it was a lot of uh, YouTube um, because mm -hmm. there's, there's folks that I follow personally myself as a motorcycle rider. And like, I know that this guy's all about safety and he talks a lot about um, this stuff. Or this guy reviews a bunch of uh, new upcoming cool gear that's coming out for the motorcycle industry or like test riding the, the new bikes that are coming out and kind of informing the community about, you know, his experience and whatnot. So, you know, the, that was huge for us. And a lot of the times it was pretty easy to actually get him to try our product, review it, you know, um, 
all it is is just like, hey, hey, man, uh, if I gave you a free product, would you just give your honest review about it? And then a lot of the times they're like, wow, I've never seen that. You know, that's really cool. I think that that might help our community. I think it'll definitely make us more visible and safe. So yeah, let me let me give it a go and, and let, uh, let my public know uh, what I think about it. And a lot of the times the, the reviews have been really positive, really great. And um, we've actually had a few like online publications that like, um, review products, reach mm-hmm. out. And, you know, that's been really great because, you know, it's kind of building that credibility and letting people know that like, you know, this product yeah. is actually does what it says it will. And it's good. Um, that's important to not just be saying it yourself, but credible people to say those things too. Yeah. And do it in an ethical way where you're not like paying them to say good things about you, but they genuinely actually like it, which I think worked out great for us. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the right way to do it. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned other channels, so trade shows. Uh, who goes to trade shows? Because I, I would I would think that it's more B2B. So maybe you want to get uh, retailers to sell your products, but not, not just those people, like regular customers, they visit trade shows as well. How does it work in your industry? So in our industry, there's there's definitely two types. There's there's the B two B side of things, and um, one of the trade shows that I've um, been to does kind of a two days of industry where you're kind of talking to a lot of uh, folks that um, are all in one place and all in the same industry and making deals. And then there's they open it up to the consumer side of things because. Um, it, for the motorcycle world, you know, um, and actually there's a lot more trade shows in the motorcycle industry that are just consumer geared to where mm-hmm. like um, if it's a big enough show, there'll be all of the OEMs, like all the big motorcycle brands like, you know, BMW, Kawasaki, Triumph, all those guys will come out and then they bring all of their kind of that year's new lineup of motorcycles and people will come and be able to test ride like all of the different bikes and see all the cool things and then typically like um like for example this year we're doing moto america moto america is a racing series and it's traveling around to all the different racing uh racetracks all around the uh, united states in fact the next uh, next one we're going to be doing is going to be at laguna seca which is like a really iconic racetrack in california and monterey and uh, so a lot of people come to watch the races and then there's also like motorcycle uh companies there with all of their uh, that year's lineup of motorcycles, so you can ride, test ride all the newest and greatest toys. And then there's some gear manufacturers, like you know, try on this uh, jacket or helmet or gloves, whatever it is. And then there's us that are like, hey, you know, visibility, safety, all that stuff. So it's kind of um, a fun experience for the consumer because they're showing up for the event, they watch the races, and then in between they're like able to test ride motorcycles and see all the cool new gear and gadgets and whatnot that are coming out. And so that's, um, yeah, definitely been great for us. Yeah, yeah. So not all of them are traditional trade shows, but there are these events like a racing event when you just go there and you show people your product and they they like it um yep. which is more a b2c thing or event let's say uh yeah that makes sense um i have only one more question to you today which is what would be your number one tip to someone who let's say you know so- someone who would be you around 2016 17 before shark tank they are working on a 
physical product and they try to popularize it in a in a very enthusiastic niche um what would you tell them as advice well um there's so much really there's it just really like the advice needs to fit the moment and the uh, situation that the person's in um i think overall for me the thing that worked was um just persistence really if you believe in your idea you think it's a good one and it should be a good one because you could spend the same amount of time pursuing a bad idea as you would pursue a good one and uh, it's up to you kind of to figure out what what's good and what's not really um you don't want to get too attached to that idea so that's a totally different advice is to know when to um stop working on something that might not work out versus you know this is this is a winner i'm going to pursue this one till the end and so um i felt that the product that we or kind of the idea that i had in my mind was a good one worth pursuing because i didn't really see anybody successfully execute this idea in the past and there's going to be a lot of different ups and downs and a lot of different hurdles for you to overcome. But if you know what you're going for and you keep going and keep taking the next step, even though you don't know exactly how it's going to work out, you don't know what you're doing. Cause it, even right now, like at every step that I get to, that's the first time I've been to that step because this is my first startup, my first, um, experience as an entrepreneur. So there's a lot of moments where it's like, oh, okay, um, I don't know how to do this. But anyway, just take the little step, take the step and keep going. And if you're working hard, you will create your own luck, which is, you know, how I found my co-founders, how I was able to overcome certain challenges, how I was able to get on Shark Tank to, to get funding through Indiegogo. At all those steps, I was really scared. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I kept taking the next step regardless. And it, you, it, you don't have to see the exact like ending of how it's going to turn out, um, but just kind of trust in yourself and just keep going forward, you know? So I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I could suggest. Yeah, that's a wonderful advice. And uh, I can see this, you know, being a recurring uh, thing from many entrepreneurs. Uh, many times you have no idea how you will get there where you want to be, but you just have to trust yourself, trust the process and it will happen at some point. Yeah. And, uh, it also happened with my company, so it's still my first business as well. So yeah, I completely agree and yeah, I understand. Um, yeah. Glad that landed you, for you. Alex. Yeah. I'm glad that landed for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Alex, for uh, joining us today, sharing your story, and I wish you great luck with your company, but I know you will work for your luck. And uh, thanks everyone uh, who listened to us today or will listen to us in the future. And uh, we will put the link of uh, Alex's uh, company into the description so you can check out the product. You can uh, get one for yourself as well. And before I leave, I will put another link into the description. It's a 50-point email marketing checklist. Make sure you go down, you download it. That's what we use with our clients as well. And uh, thanks again, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye.